0: We are looking at the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to look at the last of the kings, the legitimate kings to sit on the throne, David's throne, and his name is Zedekiah, uh, or Mathaniah. The next king, legitimate king, to sit on the throne of David will come at the end of the great tribulation period, in the beginning of the millennial kingdom, and that will be the Lord Jesus Christ. He will claim his throne. Then there will be a seat on a throne, a literal throne, in Jerusalem, and it will be uh, in a revised temple. The temple will be the highest place on earth uh, because of the great earthquakes, all the mountains made low during the Great Tribulation period. Jerusalem will be the highest place, and as Christ sits on his throne in Jerusalem, there will be waters that will issue out of that throne and will spread throughout the Whole world to heal all the seas the scriptures tell us so the last king to sit on the throne was a king of disgrace the next one to sit on the throne is the king of glory why because men fail but God never fails men fail but God never fails now unfortunately today we have to talk about some pretty awful things uh, and I thought about this today I, I was babysitting Addie for a couple of hours this afternoon uh, and I was carrying her on. I thought I brought her up for a uh, coffee culotta. And I was thinking, i got to talk about eating babies tonight. I've got to talk about cannibalism. Uh, but the reason we want to talk about it is because it's in God's Word. I know it's easier to gloss over some of these things, but it's in God's Word. And it's a warning to us what God says he means And what he means, he says. And it's a warning. He warned the nation of Israel almost 1,000 years before this happened that something like this could happen. He warns us 100 years before your death what will happen when you die if you reject Jesus Christ as Savior. He tells us that hell is forever forever and men choose darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everything God says he means and everything he means he says. And the purpose, the whole purpose of that is for for us to see who God is and his purposes. This is what the Bible's all about. It's not about you. The Bible is not about you, it's about him. It's about who he is. Now, we see how we fit in the pages. We understand that. But it's always all about God and his purposes. And so as we look at this last king, there's going to be some pretty despicable things. But I want us to see what God says because it's part of the book of Jeremiah. Okay, we're in 2 Kings chapter 25. Zedekiah has been placed upon the throne by... Zedekiah has been placed upon the throne by Nebuchadnezzar himself in 2 Kings chapter 25. Zedekiah, however, thinks that he is going to be rescued from Nebuchadnezzar by going and uh, investing himself and money in Egypt because Egypt has long been an enemy of uh, the Chaldeans, of Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon. Uh, Because Egypt has long been an enemy. He feels that if he sides with this people, Egypt, that they'll protect him from Nebuchadnezzar. Ultimately, Egypt took money from this man and never showed up. Never showed up to help them out. Why? Because they could not defeat Babylon, and they knew it. But they were willing to accept uh, funds from Israel. Also... There were many people of Israel that went down into Egypt to, to dwell there. And the reason they did that is to get away from Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to trace some of that. But recognize the scene now. What happens? Well, in his, um, with all of his, let's say, sources, Nebuchadnezzar finds out what Zedekiah is doing. There's a little... Uh, There's a little saying in the book of Ecclesiastes, don't whisper anything about the king, lest the bird of the air hear it and go and tell him. It's a beautiful little saying in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's what happened. I don't know if it was a bird of the air or not, but I know this, that Nebuchadnezzar found out. So Nebuchadnezzar now, in picking it up in verse, uh, let's pick it up in verse 20. Verse 20. Remember, the Lord's behind the scenes, though men are moving. Men in their hatred and their wickedness are moving. The Lord's behind the scenes. And we see that in verse 20 of chapter 24. For, for through the anger of the Lord it came to pass in Jerusalem and Judah until he had cast them from out of his presence that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. This is the last stages of God's overthrowing the nation of Israel. The Judah, the last the kingdom of Judah. Verse 25. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month of the ninth, and the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came, and he and all his hosts against Jerusalem, and encamped against it, and they built forts against it round about. And the and the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, and on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread. For the people of the land, so we're going through an 18-month type of uh, siege around the city, where they begin to squeeze the city, and uh, for the for the purposes of making them give up, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want to waste troops going against the walls of the city. It was a well-fortified case. Uh, Solomon was sure of that, but yet Nebuchadnezzar said, "Well, we'll just wait them out. That's all." And they waited them out, and sure enough, the people began to run out of food. Now, something I think about, perhaps uh, you think about as well, uh, remember there was a lot of water in the city. There was no problem with water because Hezekiah's spring ran underneath the city, so there was fresh, pure water, but food was something else. There was not enough food. And so as they're in the heat of the day uh, and and they, they begin starving, what I think about is though many, many, many of these people were unregenerated wicked people that fell for the false prophets, there are some true believers there. There's some believers in Jehovah God that were part of this siege. And you think about that, do you not? Uh, sometimes the wicked uh, face the judgments of God, and you and I may fall into similar circumstances as them. All the Jews that were killed during World War II, not all of them were just unregenerated people. Many of them were, in fact, New Testament born-again believers. Many Jews were believed. Many people that were killed by Mao Tse-tung were Christians, genuine Christians, as he went in and did his work. When the Cambodian did their whitewashing of all Cambodia, uh, there were many Christians killed. Christians often suffer in judgment. It's not their judgment, but it's judgment that comes. Christians often suffer. And uh, when God finally brings what we can see as his uh, judgment upon the United States of America, some of us may be there, some of our grandchildren perhaps. We don't know. But every nation that falls, falls with Christians in it. Recognize it. It's not God's wrath upon them. It's they are present during his judgment upon the unregenerated. Those people who are saved during the Great Tribulation period, they will suffer during the Great Tribulation period. They will suffer. Well, here we have a city that's now been sieged for 18 months, and people begin to starve to death. And Zedekiah, the great hero that he is, stands up for the people, right? No, he runs like the dog that he really is. Look at verse... uh, 4. And the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. So they're sneaking out of the king's garden, and they're running. They're just running for the hills. Why? Because they know the city's out of food. They're out of money. Let's leave the people. And they run. And the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon in Riblah, and they pronounced sentence upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out his eyes, the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of bronze and carried him uh, to Babylon. So they, they, they catch him running away. Here is this mighty king, Zedekiah. He's the guy who was against God, against God's word, against God's will, And here he is running uh, away. He ran down to Jericho, which was in the southern part of the land of Israel. It's right there on the Dead Sea. He ran down there and he was captured. I kind of think of um, Saddam Hussein when they found him. He is the mighty president of Babylon, the king of Babylon, if you would. Where would they find him? In what they called the spider's hole. Just ran away from his people. The people that he had brought into war, he ran away from his people. Well, this man was no different, but what a horrible ending. His sons, of course, were killed before his eyes, and then his eyes were further put out. So the process begins, but I want you to see what Jeremiah says about this, because that's the book that we're studying together. Turn with me, if you would, please. Uh, Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 27 for a moment, please. Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27. Remember, God is speaking to his people and he's telling them that they need to submit to his will. They just need to submit to the king of Babylon and in the process of that, of submitting to the king of Babylon, they will in fact go into uh, prison. They'll be taken to Babylon, but there they can build houses, they can dig gardens, they can be safe, but of course they rejected it uh, all the way through. we in... Uh, Jeremiah chapter 27 look with me please for a moment at verse 1 27:1 1. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah king of Judah came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah saying Thus saith the Lord Make thee bonds and yoke and put them upon your neck and send them to the king of Edom and to the king of Moab and the king of the Ammonites and to the king of Tyre and the king of Sidon by the hand of messages who come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, the king of Judah. So this is a warning for all the nations round about and for Judah itself. And he's, he's giving us a, a, an outward example, a picture, if you would, with a yoke upon him. There's going to be a yoke upon all these people. Now look at verse 6. And now I have given all these lands into, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field have I given also to serve him. And all the nations shall serve him and his son and his sons' sons until the very time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall enslave him. So God's giving us the reign of the Gentile powers, Nebuchadnezzar I, the media persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and so forth down the line. Picking up. And it shall come to pass that the nations and the kingdoms that will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword, with the famine, with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, take not for yourself prophets, nor your diviners, nor your dreamers, nor your enchanters, nor to your. Uh, sorcerers who speak unto you saying you shall not serve the king of Babylon for they prophesy unto you a lie unto you to remove you far from your land and that I should drive you out and that you should be punished. So the warning is submit. I've given this land into his hand. Just submit to him and when you get to Babylon as we read throughout Jeremiah when you get there just live peaceably. Live peaceably in Babylon. Essentially, be a good testimony. It would be as if we received a message from the Lord that uh, Canada is going to come and take us over. And if Canada comes to take us over, you just go with them. Don't fight it. I've I've given the United States over to the hands of the Canadians. Don't fight it. Just move to Canada with them. perish the thought. But move to Canada with them. And just dwell there, make houses, dig, dig wells, plant, and I'm going to get you out of there eventually. In 70 years, you're going to come back here, you see. But just go there and live in peace, submit, if you would. But what happens? No, they would not do that. They rebelled. And so there was a great slaughter in all the land of Israel. Why? Because they rebelled against the word of God. They didn't listen to him to repent, and now they won't listen to him to return. They just continually go against, against his word. So there was this great siege in all of the land. Now, uh, Jeremiah tells us what some of the results of what happened. Turn with me to the book of the Lamentations, please. You know, of course, this is Jeremiah, and he's rehearsing what happened. We're in the book of Lamentations. Look at chapter 4, please. This is what happened after the great fall. In Lamentations chapter 4, Jeremiah, of course, is uh, lamenting over all that has happened. And he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, how is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? Remember, he's talking about the temple, how glorious it was, how magnificent it was. Just a, a, a wonder to look at it in its glory. He said, the stones of the sanctuary are poured out on the top of every street. In other words, it was scattered. It was just knocked down. It was thrown around. It's interesting. Today, if you go to the land of Israel and you go to the Western Wall, what's called the Wailing Wall, you'll go and you'll stand uh, where the Jews, often you'll see a picture of them at the Wailing Wall praying. Actually, where they used to be is about 40 feet below that about 40 feet down. Uh, you'll see a, an archway uh, as, as they enter. Now the, the rabbis are using that as their housing. But uh, inside of that archway where the rabbis are, that archway is about 40 feet tall. But uh, because in 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed, the Romans threw everything from the temple, from uh, Herod's temple, they threw it over that western wall and now the land is even. They filled in a valley with the stones of the temple. And so what's going on here is the temple has been destroyed. This is Solomon's temple and the stones have been thrown all over the place. These beautiful huge stones that they were able to slide together on the Temple Mount now have been destroyed by the Babylonians. Verse 2, the precious sons of Zion uh, comparable to fine gold are how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers in the work of the hands of the potter. Even the sea monsters draw out uh, the breasts, they nurse their young, the ones, the daughters of my people, has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. Talking about uh, just the utter judgment that went on. Uh, Even animals can see this. Even animals have a pattern. My people are being destroyed. Pick it up, please. The tongue of the nursing child clings to the roof of his mouth. The thirst of the young child asks for bread and no man breaks it unto them. They that did feed delicately are desolates in the streets. They that were brought up in the scarlet embrace dunghills. The finest, the finest of the finest that people used to have. Those who ate delicately. These are the king's foods, the prince's food. You know, chocolate-covered butterfly tongues. And, you know, you know they eat weird stuff. Well, that's what they, they were used to eating. That Now what? They're eating dung just to survive eating whatever they can. Verse 6: For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment with no hands laid on her. Hand. Think about that. This judgment is greater than the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? They will file in their sin and knew not the Lord. These people knew the Lord and were vile in their sin. Greater judgment comes upon more accountability. More knowledge requires greater judgment. Think about that. Wow. Her nobles are purer than snow. They are whiter than milk. They they were more ruddy in body than rubies, their polishings as a sapphire. Now their their visage is blacker than cold, and they are not known in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It is withered and become as, as a stick. They who are slain with the sword are better than they who are slain with hunger, for they pine away, strick, uh, stricken through the lack of the fruits of the field. The hand of the tender-hearted woman have boiled their own children; they were their food in the destruction of the daughter of my people. Is it incredible? Just incredible, and yet God had told them, "This is what would come to pass if you do not repent. If you do not obey me, this is what would have come to pass." This very, very same thing we saw last week was what uh, happened uh, with uh, Jehoram or Joram, and he was Ahab's son. Remember in Second Kings, the city was besieged by the Assyrians. And the same thing happened. They were actually eating their own children. Now, I I, I believe they were children that have died, but what is the difference? What is the difference? Why? Well, because they went against the Lord. Now, you and I uh, can ask all kinds of questions. What, What happened? What happened? How could these people... And I think about this myself, and, and you can add something to it, I'm sure. How can this, this, they're blessed by the Lord. Imagine that. They were blessed by the Lord. They were an informed people by the prophets and by the writings. They were an intelligent people. You weren't dealing with some dummies here. These people understood exactly what God's word and, and what he said. How could they be so duped? into believing these false prophets how could it happen how could this be possible to go on well i want to show you a couple of things if i can because my question always is could this happen today could this very thing happen today to god's people us christians is it possible for something like this to happen to us as christians today Say, well, no, of course not. Well, wait a minute. Let's think this through for a moment. I want you to see what God refers to his people. Turn back with me to the book of Jeremiah for a moment, please. Turn back with me to the book of Jeremiah, and we're in chapter um, 2 for a moment of Jeremiah. What could have happened? Why would these people do this, or how could these people do this? Jeremiah chapter 2. You and I, of course, have the blessed spirit of God dwelling within us to give us direction. And when we walk in the spirit, we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When we walk in the spirit, we'll honor the Lord. We'll have the love, joy, peace, long, suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. We'll have all of that. That's in the King James Version. We'll have all of that. And, and we'll, we'll have that joy, that, that peace that passes understanding, but don't walk in the spirit. And what happens? You go right back to your fleshly nature. Go right back to it. And your fleshly nature, we don't even want to think about the depths of it. The lust of the flesh are these, we read in the book of Jeremiah. And if you read it, we, if we read it in the Greek, we'd all be embarrassed to death, red-faced to hear about it, what the lusts of the flesh are like. Horrible, horrible thing. But what is that equivalent to in this Old Testament? Well, it, you know, if we have the Holy Spirit, they had the Holy Spirit among them, not permanently indwelling them, but he was among the nation of Israel, just like he brooded over the waters, of course. The Spirit of God was among them. He was not in them permanently, only a few Old Testament saints. But let's see about the nation of Israel. We're in Jeremiah chapter uh, 2. Look with me for a moment at, uh, well, let's pick it up in verse 23. How canst thou say, I am not polluted? Talking to the people, of course. How can you say you're not polluted? And I have not gone after Balaam. See the way in the valley. Know that thou, uh, what you have done, you are a swift dromedary traversing her ways. You are like a wild ass used to, used to the wilderness that snuffs up the wind at her pleasure and in her occasion who cannot turn away. All they that seek her will not weary themselves in her month. They shall find her. You have gone back to being animal. Not that a human being is an animal, but acting like an animal. You've gone back to acting just like an animal. Now, uh, just to give you a couple examples of these, the the, the dromedary is a a female um, camel. And the female camels, without a male leadership, without a head of the pack, they they just march in circles. That's what girls are like, right? Right? I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to s- No. They just, there's no leadership, so they just go everywhere. And, and hunters that are looking for, for female car- camels, they don't have to worry too much where they're going to catch them and that they'll escape a trap because they just head for anything. They're just used to running away without, without any leadership, without a, that, that male camel that, that heads the flock or, or the whatever thing a camel's a herd. Uh, um, he, without him, they're easy prey. And then he says, you're like a wild ass that snuffs up the wind at her pleasure. This is mating season for a wild ass. And they are just absolutely without reason. All you need to do, all you need to do is find a male ass and put him somewhere in a pen and they will come directly to him. And you know, that's true of many, many things today. I'm I'm a fan of hunting. And if there's any PETA people among you, don't worry, I don't get anything, but I'm a fan of hunting. And I'm interested in, uh, I I would love someday to go and shoot a moose. If that bothers you, I'm sorry. But often I'll watch some moose things about moose. And when a moose is in what they call rut, when it's season, mating season, They will walk right up to a hunter who's making a female call. And a female moose will come right to a hunter that's making a male call. It's as if they're blinded. They'll walk right up to him. It's like not a problem to shoot them. All you have to do is find them and make these gruntings So, I have a friend of mine, well he was a friend, I haven't seen him in over 30 years, maybe longer than that. He worked for the B&M Railroad in um, Boston and Maine Railroad, and this is when the railroad traveled all the way up to northern Maine. And he said, in the wintertime, or in the mating season time, toward the fall, uh, some of these moose would get on the track, and they would take the B&M train, they would take it as a male moose. They would lower their head and charge it. Now, the moose would always lose, of course. Uh, the engine would win. But that's, see, they lose all reason. They're going by their animal instincts. What are their animal instincts? Well, they're without moral direction. They're just made in public. All kinds of behavior in public. Why? They're without moral direction. That, that doesn't, that's their instinct. That's the, way they're, that's the way they are. They just do what makes them feel good. Procreation, that's the way they're, they're 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 made to just uh, make after their kind. And God said, that's where my people have gone. They've gone back that way. They're just like wild animals. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. Why is that? Well, because essentially... The people were saying, don't worry about God. Don't worry about him, Jehovah. That's old-fashioned stuff. We're we're telling you about something new, a new Christianity. You realize they weren't saying that, but you you get it? Where you can have God your way. You You can do what you want. You can sound like what you want. You can act like what you want. You can do anything you want, and it's okay. Don't worry about it. That's what they were saying to the people in Judah, and the people loved to have it so. Now, let me ask you this. Have you seen any of that in modern-day Christianity, where people just love to have its own? You're binding us up with laws and rules. No, I'm not. I just want you to read God's word, that's all. (laughs) I just want you to see what he says, what his word says. And he said, the minute you reject me, you're just like these wild, wild animals. And it's interesting, these wild animals, of course, again, they, they're without, they're just uh, using their animalistic instincts, their urges, they're without moral direction, they're without soul, so they're without what? Direction. They, they just go wherever they want. And they're without, of course, eternal life. I, I have had the hardest time in my life when a little, little child will come up to me and say, can you pray for my puppy that I'll see him in heaven? No, you're not gonna see your puppy in heaven, and I don't say that to him. But you know what that's like. Oh, my favorite cat. You know, I want to see it in heaven. Well, it's not going to heaven. It's an animal. It's good for pleasure on earth and eating them and everything else. But it's just a just simply an animal. That's all it is. That's all it is. Going on from there. Let's see what God says about it. just for a minute. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter seven. Could this happen today? Could could Christian people become so filled with the flesh that they enter into all kinds of vile things and and do it as unto the Lord, let's say. You know, they think they're doing a Christian thing. Proverbs, turn with me to chapter 7 for a moment. God's warning to a young man here in Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Let's look at verse 21 for a moment. Proverbs 7 and and verse 21. This is talking about a young man. And this is a harlot that's after this young man. And you can read through the whole thing in in chapter 7. But I just want to pick it up in verse uh, 21. It says, And with her fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips... She forced him. What? Can anyone force you into immorality? The answer to that is absolutely not. Can anyone by their fair speech force you? No, they can't. What it is is you wanted to go, and they just put the last straw. But notice what it says about this. He goeth after her as an ox to the slaughter. You know, a cow's walking up a ramp. He's going to get a thump on the noggin, and the next thing he's going to be is prime rib. You know, he doesn't think anything of it. That's the way a person without discretion goes if they do not honor the Lord. Even Christian people. Same thing. If they won't honor the Lord, you go back to the lusts of the flesh. You go back to a, uh, the old man. In his all sinful ways. Read it again, if you would. A, a fool to the correction of the stalks, till the arrows strike through his liver as a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not it is for his life. See, God's talking about his people, and his people that do not listen to him will not honor him, they go back to the way of wickedness. Okay, now, could that happen to us? Could this happen to us as Christians? Well, we only have a couple minutes left, but turn with me to the book of Peter, please. The book of Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 2. What happens to God's people? How can such a thing happen to an Old Testament, a Jew, a believer in God? Remember... They were to bring sacrifice, and they did that. And when they did that, it stayed God's judgment upon them. If they believed God's word and acted accordingly, accordingly, they brought sacrifice. That pleased God, but it was not sufficient. It pleased him that they obeyed him, but it was not sufficient for their salvation. It was put to their account for salvation because the Christ was going to come, just like Abraham, right? He believed God and it was put to his account for righteousness' sake. So they followed through. They followed through with with God's requirement for them, an Old Testament person. However, just bringing the sacrifice was not sufficient unto eternal life. It was not sufficient. Why? Well, because some brought the sacrifice and then went back to the ways of the world. And we see this with this man particularly, and his name, of course, was Lot. Uh, this is pre, uh, pre-law, obviously. But let's pick it up. What happened to Lot? Remember, Lot was Abraham's nephew. Lot traveled around with Abraham everywhere. Lot saw God's blessing upon Abraham and actually experienced God's blessing for himself. And he chose the cities of the plain down in the southern part of the Dead Sea, Sodom and Gomorrah. The scripture tells us that if you, uh, if you looked, it was well-watered wherever it was. If you go there today, you'll think God's word is a lie. It's desolate. It's forsaken. It's a, it's a horrible, terrible, nasty place. It's good to look at for a few minutes and then get back in the bus and take off. But in Lot's day, it was well-watered. That is until the judgment of God came upon it. But notice what happened now, please. Talking about the Lord. Verse 5. Let's pick it up in verse 5. And God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And what else did God do? Well, he judged, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, uh, condemning them, with the overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered Lot, justified Lot, righteous Lot, a believer in God. He was justified, the scriptures tell us. Notice he's called in verse 8, a righteous man. So he was an Old Testament saint. He was someone who knew the word of God and knew God. He was someone who belonged to the Lord. What happened to him? In verse 7, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy manner of life of the wicked. The word vexed there is an interesting word. Uh, Other translations have it in different ways. But what it essentially means is to be worn down. Now, I meant to do it, and I forgot to do it. Well, I I didn't get a chance to. In the back of my truck... I collect driftwood. I don't know why. I bring it home and then throw it away later on. But I collect it. I can't stand it. And I see these big pieces of driftwood when we go up in Maine. And there they are. Here is a rough pine branch. So rough that, you know, when you pick it up, the sap gets on you. You can cut yourself with the bark of it. It's very, very uh, hard uh, stuff to deal with. After it's been in the ocean and rubbing against the rocks... It's as smooth as a baby's skin. It's incredible. What happened? It got worn down. It's like rubbing sandpaper over something. It just got worn down. It just kept getting worn down, rubbing on the rocks. And that's what it's talking about with Lot. And delivered righteous or just Lot, vexed with the filthy manner of life of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He got worn down. I I got to admit to you, I'm a little worn down. Aren't you? I hear stuff now that just 10 years ago would have shocked me. It doesn't seem to bother me. I mean, when I think about them real deep, they hurt, but I hear people doing things. uh, uh, You see things on TV, uh, in the news, what people are doing, and I'm not shocked anymore. What happened? We're vexed with the unrighteous deeds of the wicked. We're vexed so that they can describe and show these people that are changing their very what they're calling their very uh, sexual orientation in nature. They, they, they show these people and what they're doing. It, it, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I don't like it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm staying far away from it. I'll vote against anyone that's for it. You know, the whole business. But it's not as bad as it used to be. Do you hear about abortion anymore? It's going on. Heavier than ever, heavier than ever it's going on. Does it bother you? We're vexed with the deeds of the wicked. And Lot sat among these people, Sodomites, and every other type of wickedness that you could possibly think about. And he got worn down. You know the trouble is? It shouldn't happen. It's not supposed to happen, and we can stop it from happening when we walk with the Lord. Now, we're out of time, but I would ask you to read about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. He had everything that belonged to Potiphar, all his wealth, all his goods, and day to day she pressed him for immorality, day to day. And he said, I will not do this against my God. There's a man that stood. Read about Daniel. I will not eat the king's food. So for us to say, well, it happens to everyone. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Some people that walk with God and stay close to the Lord and are careful with their walk with the Lord, it doesn't happen. They don't allow that stuff to filter through them. Lot did, and I'm afraid some of us do at times, allow this to permeate our thinking, to to take, if you would, the rough edges. You know, know, we're Christians. We're not supposed to be callous and we're not supposed to be rough. No, but when it comes to sin, we're supposed to reject it. We're not supposed to embrace sin, are we? (laughs) But that's what's happened. That's what happened with Lot. So much so that no one listened to him and angels had to drag him out of the city. Well, what happens to people? What happened to the nation of Israel? Are thinking people? How could they come to that place? And God said, because they rejected me, they rejected my word, and they, went and they turned away and became animalistic in their thinking. And can I suggest to you that in some cases, in the United States of America, some people are turning that way. Imagine that. Now, that doesn't mean all of them. And there's still some very good moral people out there who do not know Christ as Savior, but try to keep their morality, if you would. But then there's us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We know what God has said. We know what his word says. We know what it warns us of. And he tells us how to overcome that by walking in the power of the Spirit of God. So you and I need to make sure that we're keeping our spiritual antennas high. Make sure that we're not being worn down by the world. Make sure that this stuff is not allowed to, to wear us out or wear down our walk with the Lord. Well, we need to close here. I'm sorry I brought this to you on such a very hot night, uh, but it's in God's word, and I wanted to deal with it. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be closing out. There's nothing next week. We'll, we'll be closing out the book of Jeremiah together, and then we're going to have a cookout together. So I hope that you have read through the book of Jeremiah, and we'll have a sign-up sheet fairly soon. And we want to have a cookout together where we enjoy one another's fellowship. And we'll be Jeremiah-mites together as we partake of hamburgers and hot dogs. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your revealed truth. Lord, these are, these are disgusting, sickening things to think about. Uh, they don't deserve a lot of our time. And yet, Lord, you've put them in your word for us to know. All that you've given us is for us and for our children forever to let us know who you are in your purposes. Father, we, we, uh, we want to get this out of our mind because uh, we want to think on the, the best things. But we know, Father, the best things are what our Lord Jesus Christ paid for, eternal life and redemption through his shed blood, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the wickedness of these people He died on Calvary's cross for them as well as for us. He died for the sins of the whole world. And, Father, as we consider these things, help us. Help us to realize that what you have said you mean and what you mean you have said. And that judgment will come. And we want, Father, to recognize that if judgment first be at the house of the Lord, what will happen to unbelievers? Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.